People all around the world have been working remotely due to the pandemic, and we've been doing it here at RTI too. But that's led to the question, is this even remotely working? I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. Taiwan has opened an office dedicated to helping Hong Kongers looking for a way out. The Taiwan Hong Kong Services and Exchanges Office began operations Wednesday, the same day a controversial new national security law took effect in Hong Kong. The new office will help prospective students, workers, investors, entrepreneurs, and others looking to make the move to Taiwan. It will also help those facing political persecution on a case-by-case -case basis. It's official. Taiwan has 5G service. Zhonghua Telecom and Taiwan Mobile launched 5G networks on Tuesday. Both plan to have 4,000 base stations by the end of the year, covering most of Taiwan. 5G networks will facilitate advances in smart medicine and long-term care, among other fields. Far East Tone plans to launch its own network on Friday. Taiwan reopened its borders Monday to foreign nationals who are coming for purposes other than tourism. Taiwanese citizens can also bring over spouses and children who have Hong Kong or Macanese residency. There is an application process, and all must test negative for COVID-19 before they arrive. Cruise ships will soon be taking to Taiwan's waters once again. While international cruises are still banned due to COVID-19, one travel agency is planning a series of five domestic cruise trips that will take passengers to Taiwan's outlying Penghu, Kinmen, and Mazu Islands. And under the radar this week, we head to the rocky Keelung Islet, just off the northern port city of Keelung. This is a place of stark, windswept beauty and expansive ocean views. But it has a less rugged side as well, with beautiful flowers in the spring and summer months. Long off limits, the island is now open to a limited number of daily visitors. And now for our words of the week. Ready to guess, Andrew? Yes, what do you have? Inspired. Innovation. Innovate. Yay. Yay. So today we're talking about innovation at the workplace, or actually not at the workplace, working remotely, and we have some life hacks for that. Excellent. I look forward to that. Okay. Are you ready for my word? Mm -hmm. All right. That's a long word. Friendship? No. <laughs> Frustration. <laughs> <laughs> Not friendship. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I saw you did innovate. I should have done frustrate because uh, working remotely for me has been a frustrating experience, but it's also been pretty interesting. So I think we have a lot to talk about yes, in today's show. All right. Put these on the shelf. Can you believe we're already halfway through the year 2020? If it feels like we've been covering COVID-19 for six months, that's because we have been. We first reported about a mysterious SARS-like virus in Wuhan, China on December 31st. So what's it been like to cover COVID-19 for Taiwan Insider? Well, today we're gonna to give you an inside look. Our first episode was on February 6th. It was our longest show to date, but we figured we might as well do one big show on this virus. Little did we know that we'd end up doing 15 consecutive episodes on COVID-19. Now, Thursday, March 19th was a pivotal day. That was the day when Taiwan closed its borders to most foreigners and made 14-day quarantine mandatory for anyone coming into the country. Then on Sunday night, we got the word. Masks would be mandatory at work the following day and only three people from our team of seven would be allowed in the office at one time. So for the next six weeks, 
Leslie would record and edit Hashtag Taiwan by himself. Natalie and I would only see each other on recording day at a distance, and it would be six weeks before the three of us would be back together again in the same place. So after that six-week experiment, Andrew, how did you feel about working remotely? Well, aside from being a little bit frustrated, <laughs> I have to say we were kind of unprepared, but we did end up learning a lot. Yes, so we're going to share what we learned in today's Taiwan Explained, some life hacks about working from home. Most of the world is going through an unplanned experiment, figuring out how to work from home effectively. In today's Taiwan Explained, we've got some life hacks about working remotely. Now, the first thing you need to do is designate a workspace and time. This is Andrew's home office. <laughs> then set boundaries such as no kids in your workspace and not getting distracted by social media. So, Andrew, did you set that up just for COVID-19? I did. You know, the day before I had to do work from home, I was like, where am I going to work? Am I going to do it at the kitchen table, which is what I usually do? And I decided I really wanted to create a space that I could gravitate to, when That's you know, nice. to make it like attractive for it has me. Has all these know. pictures and everything it's very, very warm. Pictures of my niece, you know, things to look at, um, but not too many <laughs> to get distracted. <laughs> and how about you, Leslie? My workspace is a little more fluid because I have like three computers at home. Oh wow! So you have three workspaces in. Pretty much, that I have my good. laptop, and I. I've worked from the kitchen, I've worked from the dining table, I've worked from my own room. Mm. It's very fluid. I like that, I like that. What about you, Natalie? You have kids. Did you have to set some boundaries? I did, actually, after a day or two. Like, <laughs> it's time for me to go to work now. <laughs> I'm going to work right now. So basically, don't bother me. Oh. Don't ask me for food. <laughs> and, they, and they didn't. They were respected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's they're great. pretty independent. So. And they're older, too. They're older. Right. Not like, like the, the kids, kids in, in the there, picture. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our next tip is to stay connected to your colleagues. And we tried to do that with a weekly video meeting. But did you guys think that was enough? I don't think Andrew felt that was enough. Um, I'm not going to say <laughs> anything. Well, I don't know. I like having everybody right next to me when I'm working, <laughs> so it wasn't enough. I think the times where we did like maybe two or three meetings. I think meetings we should have worked. had more and yes. maybe set them ahead of time because we were playing by ear. Like sometimes it's 11 at night. Yes. And, and also on the road or something. Yeah. I think cutting down on the video chat or on the line chats like the with the right. cell phone and increasing the number of video chats think, worked well. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. It's hard to read what people are saying or sometimes. <laughs> you read a line lot into chats, it. <laughs> yeah, feel more angry than they really are. <laughs> Okay, the next um, tip is to use the new situation to innovate and to add value to your work, like Leslie did here, <laughs> dancing with dogs, which he wouldn't have done if he was filming Hashtag Taiwan on set as he used to. We also arranged interviews with people outside of Taipei, like Douglas Habaker and Tai Zhong, who told us how he survived COVID-19, and Xing Yi Huang in New York, who had been performing quarantine music. Mm. So what did you guys think overall of working remotely? Did you like it? Mm. I got a lot better at editing. Yes. I got oh, a lot better at video editing. Yeah. You did some great videos. I think the innovative part of it I think was really great and actually helped the show. Some of those things are going to be long term now right. just because we had right. that experiment. I felt yeah. more productive. I felt like we can get, um, you know, the, like on our news shifts, the stories out quicker and I felt more focused. I get I distracted at work. I agree. Like, I really enjoyed having at least one day where I could kind of breathe and, like, brainstorm and write without any distractions. But I think it's really about finding the balance, you know? Because I think that the, the weeks where we only saw each other once a week... That was a little bit too... We're disconnected. Yeah. It, the camaraderie, I think, took a little bit of a hit, and it was less e e efficient, really. 
Um, I think it's finding the balance, and that's important for every team and every individual. That's right. So we are still learning, but we're taking what we learned, and we're still tweaking it. And hopefully um, you enjoyed our life hacks for working at home. Working remotely hasn't quite caught on in Taiwan yet, possibly because the outbreak was contained and there was no lockdown. That's right. Now, recently I spoke with Daphne Lee, who is an editor with the Newslands International, and she told me that she thinks that Taiwan missed its opportunity to restructure the workplace environment. And she says that might have something to do with the workplace culture here. I don't feel like trust is a big issue between employers and employees in Taiwan. Um, and it's, it's just like if you want remote work to actually work out the way it should, actually your boss would have to place a lot of trust in you for completing your work independently. But I think that's not the case in Taiwan. A lot of employers actually feel the need to like monitor their employees. Like mm. in my article, I mentioned my friend had to like dial in three times a day and like let his employer just watch him work for a few minutes. So that's really, yeah, that's odd. <laughs> watch but, him work? Like what, what was his job? Yeah, um, I think he works at a research center, but and then they also told him that he can't work from a cafe because otherwise, how do we know you're working? Um, so it's just like little things that don't really make sense logically, but they, they just have this like need to do it and to make themselves feel better. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. not everyone is like that, but I think most of the stories I've heard are pretty terrible. Can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that working remotely um, can actually help a company, not just the employee? Well, the biggest benefit for a boss would be saving real estate costs. Like, let's say if you just have half of your team rotate, you can, like for us, we have two stories um, for office space. But actually, if we half of us are working from home, we only need one, one story. Mm. And then that's probably cuts the rent by half and then... Uh, and also maybe it doesn't apply to Taiwan, but like in the US, like Facebook announced uh, remote work and then Mark Zuckerberg said, Mark Zuckerberg said he would um, adjust the payroll for people who are not in the expensive cities. So mm -hmm. that in a way also helps the company to reduce their payroll costs as well. Um, yeah, just a lot of logistical stuff that you don't need when, when you're not working physically in one space. Yeah, and then also, um, this pandemic is a is a good example. Like, if your employee is sick, but he or she can actually work from home, but they just can't kind of get to um, the office. Oh, it happens to me a lot in my office when my coworkers have diarrhea that day. And <laughs> so they could still work technically, but they just can't really go into the office. But then, if you don't have remote work as an option, then that employee has to take a sick day off. That means that's one day less of productivity. But mm. if you as an employer can offer that as an option, then you avoid having like everyone to take sick leave or whatever. Now it looks like Daphne is quite the advocate for working remotely. How did people respond to her article? She is a big advocate and she told me that actually they posted her article to the Newslens website in English and Chinese and she got a lot of pushback. So like a majority of the comments were saying, oh, like she just doesn't understand Taiwanese work culture. Even if we were gonna work remotely, 
it just means we're gonna work like four to five hours extra every day because our bosses are terrible. So that was like a general sentiment. And then there's like another layer to it that people just think remote work is not in Taiwan's culture. And then they say you can you can enforce your American mentality onto Taiwanese people. But then I was like, okay. And then I, I had a talk with my coworkers about the comments and they said, well, like, yeah, that's exactly the mentality that prevents Taiwan from making progress because they think other more progressive work models don't apply to this small island. And then so they're forever just like on their treadmill thinking, oh, okay, everything is gonna stay the same, nothing is gonna change. And then we're just gonna sit here and complain. So those like were the comments I got the most from the Chinese version and lots of attacks, but. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry to hear that you were attacked for that. Yeah. Again, that was Daphne Lee from the Newslines International, and we'll have a link to her article in the show notes below. We'll also have the full interviews we did with her on YouTube and Facebook. Up next, more of me with Hashtag Taiwan. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about revenge, which I hear is a dish best served cold, but that probably doesn't apply here. Last week, Taiwan celebrated the Dragon Boat Festival with a four-day weekend. This also marked the first long weekend since the pandemic started where health officials actually encouraged people to go out and have fun in other parts of Taiwan. Now, I ended last week's hashtag with a Chinese lesson. This week, we're starting early. Xing is the phrase of the week. Fu means revenge or retaliatory, while Xing means nature or type. Yo means to travel. Over the long weekend, Bao Fu Xing Liu trended. This means that people weren't just traveling, they were traveling with a vengeance. What are people taking revenge on? COVID-19, of course. The pandemic has had people cooped up indoors for so long that they're not just opening the door on their way out, they're breaking it down. But Bao Fu Xing no longer just applies to travel and vacation. People are adding it to any number of verbs to express that they're doing the things they want to do, but with a vengeance. Take, for example, Tsai Shi Chen, who engaged in Bao Fu Xing Huan Dao, meaning he biked around Taiwan vengefully in 42 hours and 23 minutes. I'd have trouble making that trip in a car in the same time. Tribal Queen Art and Coffee is a cafe out in eastern Taiwan, an area that saw a huge spike in tourists over the long weekend. They posted this picture of a sink filled with dirty dishes left over from customers, saying they fully experienced revenge-fueled tourism. They thanked people for their patronage. I mean, if people left a bunch of dirty dishes in my sink in the name of revenge, the last thing I want to do is thank them, but to each their own, I guess. Daphne Lee is a journalist in Taiwan who tweeted, learned a very relatable term today. Which means revenge bedtime procrastination, a phenomenon in which people don't have much control over their daytime life, refuse to sleep early in order to regain some sense of freedom during late night hours. That tweet got over 250,000 likes. In the words of Andrew Ryan, that's legit viral. Or pretty sad if you think about it. Now, lastly, I'm going to show you something that you're either going to hate or you're going to love. Around the same time as the long weekend, Pizza Hut Taiwan started advertising ramen pizza. That's right, ramen on pizza. The media called it revenge pizza. Now the only thing that that's getting revenge on is either your taste buds or your bowels. Or both. As for me, I was still writing news over the long weekend, but now that I'm done, I plan on vengefully making myself a sandwich, revenge reclining on my sofa, and binge watching Netflix vengefully. 
Welcome to this week's Taiwan News Quiz, where the events are current and the points mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> now, Natalie and Andrew, have you guys been paying attention this week? Uh, a to the little news? bit, hmm. not much. I got a few complaints about last time I did it that it was too hard. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's a little easier for you guys this week. Here okay. we go. 60 seconds on the clock, please. Question number one, you guys. How many stimulus coupons is the government printing as part of its COVID-19 voucher relief program? Uh, How many coupons? 17 million. 12 million. Oh. Wow. How many vouchers were pre-ordered in the first five minutes of the program coming online? 10 million? Uh, 20,000. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Way off. Earlier this week, it was unveiled that Special Forces troops in Taiwan trained with an elite squad from what country? The U.S. That's right, Green Berets. Last mm. weekend, opposition lawmakers from the KMT stormed the legislature in protest of what? Chenju being appointed control head. Correct. Taiwan and which state are establishing representative offices in each other's land? Somaliland. Correct. Taipei recorded a record high temperature earlier this week. What was the newly established record in Celsius? 38.9. Very good. <laughs> Taiwan established an office recently to assist people from where? Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. And final question, you guys. What animal was found at over 3,500 meters above sea level and refuses to come down? Oh, it was a, it was a pit bull. It was a pit bull. Oh, Very oh, good. Oh, and I got a picture of the pit bull right here. He's just Take there in the flowers. Oh. And what happened was someone who frequents the mountain, his name is Ahong, he found the dog, and the dog was very scared to approach him at first. Aww. But after two weeks, the dog kind of warmed up to him. And he found someone to adopt this little dog, who he calls Xiao Hua Hua, which means little flower. <laughs> but the dog just won't come down. It's just chilling at 3,500 <laughs> meters above sea level. How hey, do you even get up there? I would love that, too. He, he feels at home there. He's... He's probably really... I guess so. Do you have to climb up is like with a rope? No, but it's like a mountain trail. Yeah. So I, I would love to see the journey of that dog and turn it into a documentary. I would love that. That's Little, amazing. Like hiking boots for a doggy. Oh, my goodness. Love it. I think oh. we should produce that movie. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> anyway, that's this week's Taiwan News Quiz. Thank you so much for joining us this week for an inside look at Taiwan. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. We'll see you next week. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. This is Radio Taiwan International.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. What is it like to be black in Taiwan? Well, today we hear from two of the founders of the Black Lives Solidarity Global Initiative, Toy Windham and Stephanie Davis, who are based here in Taiwan. They recently organized a Black Lives Matter rally in Taipei. They share what it's like to be black in Taiwan, and they also share about their rally, which they invited indigenous persons to open. They tell us why it was important to have indigenous people open the rally. It's important because the indigenous people here in Taiwan also face some form of discrimination. It may not be the same or to the same level as what we may face as Black people in America or other Black people in different countries, but they they have faced some injustices um, here in Taiwan over the course of history, and so we felt it was important to have them included yeah. and show that we are working together. We're working in solidarity so that we can support one another. The black population in Taiwan is not that large, so they also share how they balanced having a rally about black lives, but also letting the rally resonate with issues in Taiwan. As Toy was saying, it's, it is important to bring the indigenous tribes on to have them participate because their discrimination does directly affect the people of Taiwan. And so for me, and I think for most of us, we were saying, that is not my place to provide you with that voice. Mm -hmm. I should not say that and voice that on your behalf. Mm -hmm. You should be able to voice that. And I feel the same way as it relates to black issues. Why would I want someone of Indian descent to voice my issues for me? I should be able to have the stage or the opportunity to voice my issues related to my issues. Um, and so that was why it was important for us. Um, and then in addition to that, it's just, we need to be able to share with others and the Taiwanese people a level of education, right? They don't understand our experience personally, but there are things that could be learned from this. One thing being, you know, the issue of blackface and why that is not a thing that should be happening mm -hmm. here in Taiwan or anywhere else. Um, and so education is also a tool that we can use as it relates to this rally. Toy Wyndham and Stephanie Davis share what it's like being black in Taiwan versus being black in the United States. Um, being black in America, um, there are systems in the government and the police force that are in place that directly threatens our lives. Um, there are ways that we have been discriminated against in terms of jobs, education, and housing, so forth and so on, yeah. that have been perpetuated and continue to be enforced even today. Things like old systems that have been created by generations ago. And so those directly affect us, but here, our lives are not, um, like our actual life is not gonna be endangered. Um, but there are things that we still encounter on a daily basis where people may look at us a certain way or may discriminate us on a lower level, um, such as microaggressions or people touching my hair or um, sometimes how they may point 
at us. Um, it's like little things that really bother us, but it's not going to always, um, it's not a, a direct threat. Yeah, it's, it is a little bit different, right? It's, think about it in the sense of instead of stabbing you with a large knife or cutting off your arm, instead what happens is they just poke at you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first poke is kind of like, ha, 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 I am ticklish. It's okay. But then after a while and you're just sitting there living your normal life, those pokes get annoying. It, it becomes a really, really big bother. And at mm-hmm. one point in time, sometimes you're just like, just, just, cut, I don't wanna deal with just it. cut me with something <laughs> deep. But these pokes, please stop. And, it's, and so due to the microaggressions that are occurring, it requires education. Right. We have to be able to educate and be able to share that some of the things that you're doing are not okay. And just one offs, you know, one person experiencing a black person that they've seen in person for the first time is just think about it. Like as you watch the NBA, right, Mm -hmm. you watch it and you turn it off and you move on. You don't stare at it. You notice that the person is different and Mm -hmm. you take your gaze and you continue, oh, I, I have to, oh, this is my stop. I should yeah. probably be pay, paying attention to that instead. Yeah. And, and sometimes um, being here in Taiwan, a lot of things that some people may do, it's out of curiosity. Like Stephanie has said, sometimes we're the only black person that some people may ever encounter or the first one that they encounter. And so they may ask questions, which I, I, I will happily answer yeah. questions yeah. about anything in terms of me being a black person or just a foreigner here in Taiwan. Um, and then other things that happen are out of ignorance. We do have to bring awareness to the fact that yeah. these things do happen because Taiwanese people may not realize that it actually happens because it doesn't affect them directly, but they may not know that they're actually doing something wrong. So mm. we, we have to bring the awareness and show them like, hey, you doing that or touching our hair actually bothers me. That mm-hmm. is not okay. And they may have been just like, oh my God, curly hair. But then it's like, no, if that happens every day by a different person every day, then it does get bothersome. It does, it does get tiring. Recently in Taiwan, there were some famous YouTubers dressing up in blackface. Now they share with us what they thought of those incidents. We have to educate people, locals and foreigners too, to show them like, hey, these things are not okay. Um, hopefully they, everyone is receptive. It's, it's unfortunate and it's very upsetting as a black person. Um, I... I get very unsure about where it's coming from because mm-hmm. there's one side of the coin that says, well, it's coming from a level of ignorance. And then there's the other side of the coin that says, well, I'm just doing it for likes. Well, mm-hmm. for me, it's a situation where if you're trying to mimic or be like someone, wear the same or similar glasses, wear the same or similar shirts, things mm-hmm. you can take off, mm-hmm. not makeup. Right. Mm -hmm. If I want to represent myself or show appreciation for the Asian culture, at no point in time do I plan to put on a lot of makeup on my arms or face to resemble the skin tone of someone who's Asian. Instead, I will first learn about their culture. One, Mm -hmm. then two, next find other Asians who are who represent this culture and ask them more understanding questions to Mm -hmm. learn and educate myself. Mm -hmm. And then three, maybe I will, based off of that education I gained, I will go buy and purchase attire that represents that culture in appreciation, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not in appropriation. 
Mm. Appropriation and appreciation are two separate things. Mm -hmm. And blackface is appropriation. Mm. And it's still not okay, especially in 2020. It mm. goes beyond appropriation for me, in my opinion, because if people really did their did their studying and actually educated themselves about the history of blackface, they would know that it was a very disrespectful and harmful and deliberate act that people did hundreds of years ago to, to make fun and mock black people. So it's not that it's like, hey, I want to be like you or appropriate our culture. It's just like, it's very disrespectful yeah. and you wouldn't do it if you knew. Yeah, and so people in 2020 still doing it. And the fact that it's happened multiple times in the last month, so yeah. recently, yeah. it's yeah. really, really upsetting for sure. Toy Wyndham and Stephanie Davis were organizers of the recent Black Lives Matter rally in Taipei. They tell us what kind of response they've received in Taiwan. It's been a great response. Um, one, a lot of photos. Um, which I greatly appreciate. The photos that have been sent by various amounts of people have been really appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, but then also the feedback, you know, some feedback related to how we handled certain situations that occurred um, during the rally mm -hmm. to keep it peaceful, um, as well as, you know, I really walked away with wanting to reflect on what it is that was spoke about at the rally, you know, wanting to reflect and educate themselves. And that's the main thing that I hoped people walked away with was first, allow me to reflect on my actions, on my behavior. And now how do I educate myself so that I can learn more and do better? Because once you know better, you must do better. Mm -hmm. And you can't continue to reside on the level of, well, I just don't know, level yeah. of ignorance. Ignorance mm -hmm. is not okay. Yeah. yeah, I walked away just feeling very hopeful um, because there was so much love and support and just great energy that everyone could feel. Like you could just feel it as you were standing there in the crowd and for us on the stage, yeah. like to see the numbers growing and then people really, really taking it all in, taking in the moment, taking in every part of the, the program that we had organized. Um, and being receptive because there were there were parts that people definitely didn't know in terms of the information when we read out each person's stories that had been killed by police in the U.S. That was very emotional for me, yeah. um, and it made it even more real because these were everyday people mm -hmm. living their everyday life mm -hmm. and got murdered by police. And so seeing that and people feeling that. Um, made me energized to do um and we know we're this is only the beginning because yeah. um this is a whole movement it can't just be like just one rally one post or one news story is not going to change yeah. a society it's just this is only the beginning and we're definitely going to keep keep the movement going yeah we can definitely promise that there will be more to come yes. uh, definitely from an educational standpoint the Taiwanese the local individuals who are here I think it just really comes down to education yeah. and having the conversation which is what we're doing here today yeah. conversation and education is the key um, and so we'll continue to have those sessions so that we can yeah. communicate and educate um, so that we can have improvements so yeah. we can all learn and grow. 
That was Toy Wyndham and Stephanie Davis, two of the founders of the Black Lives Solidarity Global Initiative and the organizers of the Black Lives Matter rally in Taipei. Next up, our news quiz. Welcome to this week's Taiwan News Quiz, where the events are current and the points mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> Now, Natalie and Andrew, have you guys been paying attention this week? Uh, a to the little news? bit, hmm. not much. I got a few complaints about last time I did it that it was too hard. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's a little easier for you guys this week. Here okay. we go. 60 seconds on the clock, please. Question number one, you guys. How many stimulus coupons is the government printing as part of its COVID-19 voucher relief program? Uh, How many coupons? 17 million. 12 million. Oh. Wow. How many vouchers were pre-ordered in the first five minutes of the program coming online? 10 million? Uh, 20,000. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Way off. <laughs> Earlier this week, it was unveiled that Special Forces troops in Taiwan trained with an elite squad from what country? The U.S. That's right, Green Berets. Last mm. weekend, opposition lawmakers from the KMT stormed the legislature in protest of what? Chen being appointed control head. Correct. Taiwan and which state are establishing representative offices in each other's land? Somaliland. Correct. Taipei recorded a record high temperature earlier this week. What was the newly established record in Celsius? 38.9. Very good. <laughs> Taiwan established an office recently to assist people from where? Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. And final question, you guys. What animal was found at over 3,500 meters above sea level and refuses to come down? Oh, it was a, it was a pit bull. It was a pit bull. Oh, Very good. So cute. And I got a picture Aww. of the pit bull right here. He's just Take there in the flowers. Oh. And what happened was someone who frequents the mountain, his name is Ah Hong, he found the dog, and the dog was very scared to approach him at first. Aww. But after two weeks, the dog kind of warmed up to him. And he found someone to adopt this little dog, who he calls Xiao Hua Hua, which means little flower. <laughs> But the dog just won't come down. It's just chilling at 3,500 <laughs> meters above sea level. How hey, do you even get up there? I would love that, too. He probably feels at home there. He's... He's probably really... I guess so. Do you have to climb up? Is like with a rope? No, but it's like a mountain trail. Uh, so I, I would love to see the journey of that dog and turn it into a documentary. I would love that. That's Little, amazing. Like hiking boots for a doggy. Oh, my I'd goodness. Love it. I think oh. we should produce that movie. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> anyway, that's this week's Taiwan News Quiz. And that is Taiwan Today for the week. I am Natalie So. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. John Van Trieste and the destination 1919. For people in Taiwan in the early years of the 20th century, the exciting new world of aviation must have felt like something distant from their lives. The early pioneers of flying could count pilots from many nationalities among their ranks, but none of them came from Taiwan an island that had recently been brought under the colonial rule of Japan. Then, a young man from Taichung came along and changed that. This is his story, the story of Taiwan's first pilot.
some people say it all began around 1917. An American aviator called Art Smith came to Taiwan during a tour of Asia. There, in a crowd, watching Smith give a demonstration flight was a teenager called Xie Wenda. It seems this experience may have changed Xie's life. He made up his mind that he too would take to the air one day, and in 1919, after graduating from middle school, he packed up and left home for flight school in Japan. A brief notice in the April 22nd edition of the Taiwan Daily News that year notes that his family had been against the idea. But with the support of his school's principal, he went on his way and graduated quickly with distinction. In 1920, the fresh-faced pilot took third place at a civilian air competition organized by the Japanese Imperial Aviation Association. A month later, he was back in Taiwan, celebrated wherever he went as a hero. In an era of colonial subjugation, he showed that a local boy from central Taiwan could hold his own against the rest. Like Smith, just a few years before, Xie was now making demonstration flights of his own over Taiwan. He did this over a series of three aerial shows, including one at an airfield in Taichung, near where he'd grown up. It was a triumph, and the public reacted accordingly. Taiwan's people threw together the funds to buy him an airplane of his own, an airplane that would be dubbed the Taipei. Xie didn't let them down. In 1922, he made Taiwan proud again and won a prize of 3,000 yen for completing a race between Tokyo and Osaka and back again. He finished each leg of this trip in just under four hours. Among Xie's strongest backers were the leaders of a new cultural and political movement that swept Taiwan during the 1920s. When Xie was born, it had only been around five years since Japan took control of Taiwan from Imperial China. By the early 1920s, though, Japanese rule was approaching the 30-year mark, and some Taiwanese voices began to emerge calling for change, the advancement of Taiwanese culture, and even home rule for the island. In 1923, Taiwanese students launched protests in Tokyo calling for a Taiwanese parliament. Xie Wenda was on the scene too. He took to the skies above the city in his plane, the Taipei, on a risky mission. It wasn't the flight itself that was the danger. Instead, it was the cargo. Piles of leaflets he planned to drop onto the streets of Tokyo. The people of Taiwan have long groaned under tyrannical government, one of them cried. Give Taiwanese people an assembly, another demanded. In an age with so few Taiwanese pilots, it wouldn't have been difficult to figure out who scattered these thousands of messages. After this incident, Xie Wenda left for self-imposed exile in China, leaving his airplane and his flying license behind. Since he left so suddenly, there seems at first to have been some confusion about what had happened to him. Had Taiwan's first pilot hung up his wings? Maybe not after all. A report came out suggesting that Xie Wenda had joined the air force of a Manchurian warlord. He seems to have gotten wind of this story himself, because a letter signed with his name was printed in the Taiwan Daily News, one of the papers that had carried the story. 
The letter said he had not joined a warlord military and that he was instead recovering quietly from an illness at a hospital in China's northeast. The recovery went well, and the one part of the story the papers got right was that Xie Wenda's flying days weren't over yet. He never fought for a warlord, but he did join the military, serving as a pilot in the Republic of China Armed Forces. Apparently with his flying experience, his services were also in demand elsewhere. At one point, he was the head of the Nanchang Airport and also served as an instructor at the Guangzhou Flight School. In the midst of all of this, he returned to Japan in 1925 in search of aircraft parts. His earlier letter denying he'd joined up with a warlord also included talk of proletarian consciousness, and he used the letter to refute other rumors that had been swirling about him as well, talk that he'd sold himself to the bourgeoisie in order to get his flying career off the ground. Perhaps because of this, it was suspected he'd come back to Japan to spread communist propaganda, and he was held and interrogated by the police. In the end, though, the Japanese police let him go for lack of evidence, and he returned to China. There, he continued to fly until 1930. That year, while flying a mission during an expedition against a warlord, a forced landing left him injured and unable to fly anymore. After two years of recovery, he ended his flying career and retired from military life, having achieved the rank of lieutenant colonel. Xie Wenda turned his attention to business, with work in Shanghai and Nanjing keeping him busy. Since his arrival in China, he had also become involved in several Taiwanese organizations, including one source says, those opposed to Japanese rule on the island. In 1937, war broke out between Japan and China. It was a war that saw Taiwanese people fight on both sides. Though unable to fly anymore, Xie Wenda, for his part, seems to have remained on the side of the Republic of China. After the war, 50 years of Japanese rule on Taiwan suddenly came to an end. However, without a common external enemy to divert their attention from one another, an earlier conflict between Republic of China forces and Chinese communists could now resume. Despite the letter Xie Wenda once wrote to the Taiwan Daily News defending his proletarian credentials, he doesn't seem to have joined the communist cause. In 1949, when Republic of China forces retreated to Taiwan, he went with them, returning back home. Once back in Taiwan, his career in business continued, with a stint as the head of the Taiwan Machinery Factory. His career also took another turn, this time from business to politics, as he got a place on the Taiwan Provincial Consultative Council. It seems that the teenager who had once made up his mind to fly had had his fill of adventure and decided now to live out the rest of his life quietly. He'd gone back home to Taiwan, and it's said that he never drew much attention to his past glories. Taiwan's pioneer of single-engine propellers passed away in 1983 in an age of jumbo jets and commercial flight around the globe. In Taiwan today, there are sadly few reminders of this life. While Xie is acknowledged as the first Taiwanese pilot, there is little in the way of a memorial to him. And outside the papers of his own day, little in Taiwan has been published about him either. Still, nearly a hundred years after he first left the ground, 
there are a few writers and bloggers who remember him for what he was. A daredevil winner of races and competitions, and someone who showed the world what a determined young man from Taiwan could achieve. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Most of the world is going through an unplanned experiment, figuring out how to work from home effectively. In today's time, we'll explain we've got some life hacks about working remotely. Now, the first thing you need to do is designate a workspace and time. This is Andrew's home office. <laughs> then set boundaries such as no kids in your workspace and not getting distracted by social media. So, Andrew, did you set that up just for COVID-19? I did. You know, the day before I had to do work from home, I was like, where am I going to work? Am I going to do it at the kitchen table, which is what I usually do? And I decided I really wanted to create a space that I could gravitate to when, That's you know, nice. to make it like attractive for it has me. Has all these know. pictures and everything it's very, very warm. Pictures of my niece, you know, things to look at. Um, and not too many <laughs> to get distracted. <laughs> and how about you, Leslie? My workspace is a little more fluid because I have like three computers at home. Oh, wow. So you have three workspaces in. Pretty much. That I have my good. laptop and I. I've worked from the kitchen, I've worked from the dining table, I've worked from my own room. Mm. It's very fluid. I like that, I like that. What about you, Natalie? You have kids. Did you have to set some boundaries? I did, actually, after a day or two. Like, it's time for me to go to work now. I'm going to work right now. So basically, don't bother me. Oh. Don't ask me for food. And they, and they didn't. They were respected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's they're great. pretty independent. So. And they're older, too. They're older. Right. Not like, like the, the kids, kids in, in the there. picture. No. <laughs> okay, so our next tip is to stay connected to your colleagues. And we tried to do that with a weekly video meeting. But did you guys think that was enough? I don't think Andrew felt that was enough. Um, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> well, I don't know. I like having everybody right next to me when I'm working, <laughs> so it wasn't enough. I think the times where we did like maybe two or three meetings. I think we should have worked. had more and yes. maybe set them ahead of time because we were playing by ear. Like sometimes it's 11 at night. Yes. And, and also on the road or something. Yeah, I think cutting down on the video chat or on the line chats like the with the right. cell phone and increasing the number of video chats think, worked well. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. It's hard to read what people are saying, or sometimes <laughs> you read a line lot chats into it. <laughs> yeah, feel more angry than they really are. <laughs> okay, the next um, tip is to use the new situation to innovate and to add value to your work, like Leslie did here, <laughs> dancing with dogs, which he wouldn't have done if he was filming hashtag Taiwan on set as he used to. We also arranged interviews with people outside of Taipei, like Douglas Habaker and Tai Zhong, who told us how he survived. COVID-19 and Xing Yi Huang in New York who had been performing quarantine music. Mm. So what did you guys think overall of working remotely? Did you like it? Mm. I got a lot better at editing. 
Yes. I got oh, a lot of video great videos. Yeah. I, some... I think the innovative part of it, I think, was really great and actually helped to show some of those things that are going to be long term now. Right. Just because we had right. that experiment. We are still learning, but we're taking what we learned and we're still tweaking it. And hopefully, you enjoyed our life hacks for working at home. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.